Welcome to Box Out Banter, where apparently James Harden is now on his way here. Oh no, we didn't get him? I guess not. Uh, I'm Chris Okamura, <laughs> and this is Jordan Christmas. How's it going, Jordan? It's going good. Um, you know, just uh, catching up on some hoops on this great MLK day. Um, Absolutely. Happy MLK Day, everyone. Yes. And uh, shout out to all the brands that are going to tweet about it and not follow up on any of MLK's beliefs. <laughs> but um, MLK also, Day should just be an, an NBA holiday at this point. It is uh, it basically a, joyous, is. a joyous NBA day. It, yeah, basically is already. Um, I was also coming off of a weekend of some football. Uh, got some good matchups coming up for the conference championships. Uh, so I was... A little preoccupied with that attack on Titan. It was a it was a good overall weekend, you know. Can't complain. What about you, brother? Not bad. About the same. Uh, we had a we had a fun Dragon Ball Fighters tournament. Yes, uh, that I am still salty that, was... that I came in second. <laughs> so let's just get right into it, Jordan. I want to know from a Sixers perspective and a Sixers fan perspective, how do you feel about this James Harden to the Nets? trade well um that's sigh (laughs) so i kind of on my solo podcast the uh, sly hooper podcast i kind of at the end i gave like a 15 minute just honest assessment of the Harden trade from the sixers perspective obviously i went over the trade and uh the teams and stuff and like you know uh who who won who quote unquote won the trade or whatever and then of course I talked about the Sixers who were in the running for James Harden pretty much the favorites to land James Harden um even though the Nets were Harden's first destination I even got a text from one of my friends who listened it was just like wow I cannot believe how honest you were about Harden and Ben Simmons so let me just start here so it looks like from what I have been reading over the last few days gathering my thoughts on it it sounds like one either two things are uh either one of two things were true in this uh, all resulting in the same thing that led up to the Rockets choosing the Nets trade package one Tillman Fertitta did not want to deal Daryl Morey's former MVP caliber player to the Sixers obviously based on the history there and how Daryl left blah 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 or like the athletic reported the Sixers were kind of used as a leverage point to basically get every draft pick from the Brooklyn Nets so we're doing Brooklyn Nets redux (laughs) part two of mortgaging the future I feel weird about it because obviously this is a lot more sustainable and you know, this is going to pay off more than the uh, last time they mortgaged with their future. Yeah, because at least it w- at least they'll have like two or three years of transcendently great players as opposed to aging superstars, right? But uh, from a Sixers perspective, um, I ha- I had a lot of mixed things. So I was fine with whatever Daryl Morey decided, but I was at the point where I was like, all right, it's it's time to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. Obviously I would have done it from the beginning. It's not a hot take. James Harden is one of the greatest offensive players ever. Um, And pairing that with a guy who when engaged, I think is the most impactful defender in basketball. That would have been a great combination. I think that would have made the Sixers the surefired favorite in the East with a bullet. And 
obviously I'd probably have I would have put them right behind not right behind the Lakers because I think there's still a sizable gap there but I would have definitely had the Sixers as team number two in the league um I'm at the point now where it was like okay I wanted Ben Simmons and the Sixers as constructed right now with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid leading the Sixers the Sixers probably have like if you put odds it was a one percent chance maybe they come out of the east um but if you traded Simmons for Harden it would have made them contenders so I'm kind of struggling with that but I'm also it's all I'm also at the point now the Harden trade it kind of made me you know I guess be real about maybe Simmons trade value isn't as high as we think everybody still thinks he's a good player but people have grievances with the fact that he still can't shoot um I still am dealing with facing the fact that he's been the same offensive player with slight micro improvements here and there since his rookie year he still can't finish around the rim with his left hand he still can't finish around the rim efficiently in general um he can't shoot from anywhere which not not only is that a hindrance not shooting from three he doesn't shoot anywhere on the court so that's kind of hindered him and there's obviously a ceiling with this team because there's a half court creation problem this team hasn't solved yet so obviously I would have loved for the Sixers to get Harden but it just seems like the Rockets had a better offer they had basically they came down to the Nets had a bunch of draft picks and the Rockets went with that and I don't blame them although um, from a Sixers standpoint it does kind of stink because We've been put in this position with terrible decision-making after Hinky left that the only choice to get better and to solve our elite half or our half-court creation problem was to trade Simmons because he was our best asset because we pissed away so many assets in the past that we can't even prepare to offer a trade package where we could have our cake and eat it too, where it's Simmons, Harden, and Embiid. So there's a lot of mixed things on this. I'm kind of bummed that the Sixers didn't get Harden. I still love Simmons. I think he's a really good player, but I am really questioning his ceiling at this point, especially because he had, it's year five now of him basically being the same offensive player. So I'm just looking at Harden making his debut, dropping a 30-point triple-double in his first game. And, you know, you are you can't help but feel hurt by that, I guess. So that's my long-winded take on it. But that – I've. It just would I I just had dreams of even if it was for two or three years that's two or three years of a title window that was never open maybe in the first place. Right. So I I think that's pretty measured. I think the the important thing to me is like the dynamic that Harden brings with Embiid that would have been really really nice. Although yes. I did call this Nets thing. Uh He was the Nets were Harden's first choice right yeah and, and I think the the thing that kind of pushed it over the edge for the Sixers not getting him was kind of the hesitancy to put in like Maxi and some of the younger guys yeah and Bible I think as soon as you take off I, giving up Harden for Simmons is one thing uh but with Maxi and Thibault, you're really losing a lot of guard depth. And they're at, they also, according to Kevin O'Connor, they asked for not only Simmons and Maxi, but also a lot of draft picks. Right. So, so yeah. I, I think obviously they're at that point they're paying the the petty tax, right? Mm -hmm. They're paying the the Daryl Morey tax there. 
Yep. Uh, and his relationship with the Rockets and, and you know, how he left and saying he was going to take right. a year off, Obvi- but then takes a obviously, job. Yeah. Obviously they were going to have to overpay considering everything that they need to get. That being said, I think every team in, involved in the trade won here. Yes. Which is really rare to see. So uh, uh, before we go into the trade, can I read off the whole details of the trade just so everybody yeah. can uh, yeah, yeah, get keep the perspective? Yes. Okay. So it was a four-team trade, which I was another factor I think Brooklyn didn't expect and why they ultimately went with this deal. But it was a four-team trade between the Brooklyn Nets, the Houston Rockets, the Indiana Pacers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the Nets, they just get James Harden. That's it. And the Houston Rockets got – Victor Oladipo from the Pacers, Dante Exum from the Cavaliers, Rodion's Kuruks from the Nets, four first-round picks, three from the Nets in 2022-24-26, and one first-round pick from the Milwaukee Bucks from Cleveland that'll, uh, that is in 2022. So that's going to be a high first-round pick anyway because the Bucks are going to be good then, I imagine. And then four First, uh, first round pick swaps from the Nets this year, which is negligible, doesn't really matter. But twenty in twenty three, twenty five, and twenty seven as well. The Pacers get Karis Levert from the Nets in a second round pick from Houston, and the Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince from the Nets. Uh, is your head still spinning? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. So, yeah. So all all these deals. I guess we can go team by team here. I guess we'll hit. We'll go through the kind of easy ones first here. Uh, I like the trade for the Cavs. I like absolutely a lot. I don't know what they're gonna do because they have like six centers now, uh, and not just six centers, six centers that like don't space the floor and like are just rim protecting rebounding centers. Yeah, and so I don't know what they're gonna do with that. Uh, I think, I think it's actually, I think it actually might be a little bit more simple. So I think, well, one. Andre Drummond, Drummond. you either trade, trade, you either trade Drummond or you don't re-sign him in the offseason. I think that decision's easy. You Drummond's not. I imagine Drummond's not going to be in. Javale is a good candidate for the buyout market. Yep, Javale is going to be a buy. That's the thing. Like there might be a logjam at center, but Jared Allen makes Drummond expensable now, and the centers they did sign, they're not long-term pieces. Um, I think the price here is that. Jared Allen, who should have been starting over DeAndre Jordan. And was for, doing really well and was that doing, job he started doing. And, and was doing really well and has been the better player for a few years. The Cavs got a great player to mold with the culture they're trying to change there. They got a really good rim protector, a rim running center, a good rebounder, and an up-and-coming shot blocker um, to also pair with two guards who do their best in the pick and roll in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and fits with the shifting defensive ideology that J.B. Bickerstaff is trying to bring. You know, they got Okoro. Larry Nance Jr. has been a really underrated defender for the Cavs. The Cavs have had a top three defense, by the way, for a good chunk of the season now. They were first for a minute, and um, they're still up there. And um, I just like this move for the Cavs. Torian Prince is a wing. I don't know how long he's going to be there, but with the news that Kevin Porter Jr. is probably going to be traded or waived by the Cavs after the uh, incident that happened with him over the weekend where he was throwing yeah. food. <laughs> I don't know what it is with the Cavs and throwing food um, like it's recess, but, This you is know. something I want to bring up, too. I, I feel bad for Kevin Porter Jr. because obviously something's happening with him, and he's had issues throughout 
even his college yeah career, going back that's why he dropped in the draft right and so i hope he gets help and i hope he figures it out because he's a talented player and i like him but yeah he's out of town yeah so. yeah he's yeah and so i don't know what's gonna happen with the other i guess uh kevin porter probably would have been guard depth as he's as he was working his way back up because i i liked him as a talent but they're obviously moving on from him so i don't know what prince's future is there long term but from the Cavs standpoint they they were like the guy who walked around on a Saturday night or a Saturday morning market in town square and saw some people haggling over something and he just came they just came in and were like oh hey can I uh you know get a piece of that and then walk away from the stall <laughs> you know they yeah. were, they just they and all they had to do was give a high a Bucks first round pick that is going to be in the high 20s. So I like that trade for the Cavs. Absolutely. I think I think they kind of got away with the biggest steal here. Yep. I um, I agree. Cuz again, I think I think both of us are very high on Jared Allen, maybe more so than the average fan. Yep. But uh I think he's super talented and I like him a lot. I like I love the energy. He he is almost like a very young DeAndre Jordan, but just I think he has a lot more uh defensive instincts. Oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, especially at this know. point, he's a right. just a better player, you know. No, um, I'm I'm talking about like a young a young DeAndre Jordan. Like oh, a, you're talking about young, him. yeah, young DeAndre Jordan was raw before Doc turned him into a All NBA player. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, you know, I I like him a lot. I think he's gonna be great there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we'll go to the Pacers next. Pacers may out. I think I think Pacers come out second in this deal where they get Kares Levert. Obviously, he has injury concern. That's not a huge deal. But they get another. They get a, a younger wing to build around to build around Sabonis. Uh, I think, obviously, Victor Oladipo wanted out. He was going to de- demand a huge contract, a lot of money. Uh, he just wanted out to begin with. I don't think he wanted to play with Sabonis, given that he wants to be the guy, and it's looking more and more like Sabonis is going to be the guy. Yeah. Uh, and oh, he I was think... already the guy to start the year. Well, yeah, I, if he but came, yeah. I know what I'm you're saying, saying though. Like, like this, this the identity of the team is shifting in a yep. different direction away from Oladipo. Mm-hmm. And I think Karis Levert fits a lot better next to Oladipo or next to Sabonis than Oladipo did. Agreed. Just because he's not as ball dominant. He's more of a slasher and a, and a, a off ball wing. Yeah. The pecking order is also just well established there now. Right. Like it's clearly Sabonis is the guy. Um, Karis Levert um, is going to be, you know, like you said, the slasher wing. He, I, I actually am very interested to see what actions they can run together because I think there's some dribble handoff stuff that'll help mm-hmm. Karis's game uh, open up quite a bit. But uh, yeah, I think if you run, if you run, if you use them like how the Heat are currently using, like Tyler Hero and Bam, where they're just playing two man at the top of the key. Yeah, I think Sabonis has that ability and that talent and that versatility, and I think Karis LeBert is just a better version of Tyler Hero at this mm. point in their careers, where yep. they can run that and be highly effective. Uh, I think we t- I, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter, and I want I said I want to bring it up on the podcast. I think Sabonis is gonna, Sabonis obviously took a step this year and is is a perennial All Pro All Star franchise level guy. I think he takes another step to being a top twenty guy uh, with yeah. now without the Oladipo thing there and with and with with it's clearly his team and he can take control here. I think he has that ability and I think he's shown it so far. That's the thing. I think, um, I think, I think this year, I think Sabonis has taken the leap as a 
top 20, 25 guy. Cause last year he was an all-star and he was averaging, um, he was averaging 18 and 12 and uh, five yeah. assists. And now he's taking another leap scoring. I'm still not sure about him as a three point shooter, even though Nate Bjorken, the new head coach wants him taking more threes. He's taken the most threes he's ever had since his rookie year in OKC, which is only yeah, solid two form. a game. Yeah. It's just, it's solid form, but uh, he's still only shooting 31%. And I'm wondering what, how much more he has left to tap into there as a shooter. But I think he's already in the top 20, 25, especially the way he's been playing this year. He's kind of like a mini Jokic in a way with the spots that he has, the spots that he occupies on the floor, um, the passes that the type of passes that he makes, they run the same dribble handoff stuff, the same high post stuff. They put him on the low block and he is, you know, doing the drop step and either pushing dudes around and scoring or doing the uh, Boris Diaw like wraparound pass down the baseline to the opposite corner like they're using Sabonis in a bunch of ways that I think Oladipo saw the writing on the wall there and there was still kind of that tug and pull when as you saw them playing to start the season like is it there is it his team is it Oladipo's team um, also, like you said, Oladipo was up for a big contract. Karis LeVert is on a very valuable contract over the next few years at like 17, 18 million per. So it's not only a good flexible move for the Pacers long term, but it empowers Sabonis more. And like you said, I, I, I agree with you. I do think he could make another leap, um, possibly into the top 15 by the end of the year. This Pacers team is good, man. Like I really, yeah. I said on our podcast, our preview podcast that they were like a six seed, but with everything going on there, new coaching change, et cetera, I really did not think this team was going to be like in the upper echelon of the East. I think they absolutely are. Um, you know, the the numbers have been fluctuating because it's been a weird season, but they're trying to, you know, still figure out some stuff. TJ Warren isn't back yet, but they're hovering around the top 10 for most of the season in offense and defensive rating. And I think if you want to be a contender in the East, if you're top 10 in both of those categories, if you find yourself in the top 10 of both of those categories, then that's a pretty good starting point. Yeah. Totally agree. Also, uh, Miles so, Turner is basically just a giant ass three and D wing now. <laughs> it, yeah, it's really weird. Uh, but he might be the thing, defensive player of the year so far. He he does a great job of sliding his feet, and he has some great movement and mobility for a player his size. Yeah, his lateral quickness wow. has surprised me uh, too. Like it's gotten better, it seems like, because right. you know before it was like you know he stood, you know how. You, you know how long his legs are like he it looks always whenever he's standing flat-footed on the perimeter I always thought like it was just a you, you just would love that matchup but he's just locking dudes up on the perimeter and locking down the paint when he or locking on the perimeter when he gets switched out and locking down the paint so he's been a beast too Pacers are a good squad yep and so now we get to sort of the meat of it uh, I guess we'll hit the Nets last so we'll go to the Rockets next uh I was sad because I think that the Rockets roster, if Harden was fully engaged and he was fully bought into what they're doing, I think they're a really interesting and fun roster. Yep, agreed. Because uh, I think John Wall and Cousins are back to somewhat good form. They look great. They're playing great. Christian, Christian Woods, Wood, awesome. 
Christian Wood's awesome. He's playing like an all pro. Jason Tate, the rookie. Like yeah, he's all, he's been good. Like, they the Rockets like, just have some rest, good players. The rest of their team is really, really solid. The only thing the only problem that they kind of had was there was sort of a a weird dynamic where when Harden was on the floor, he would still try to play the Mori ball ISO style where that's not what they're doing this year. And it just slowed down their entire pace of the offense. Like they look better without Harden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think if he was fully invested and really wanted to be involved, I think that would have been. Really well, you saw the cool. Laker Rockets games, like especially yeah. the second one, like Harden quit. Like it was, yeah. it was Vince Carter. 2.0 again it was like by you know the first three games of the year Harden was averaging like 35 and everyone was like oh see even Harden you know gaining 20 pounds he's still cooking dudes and then he just quit um and, and so I think I think obviously Oladipo wants to trade out again like he doesn't want to be in Houston yeah I saw um, reports but, about that yeah so they're looking to they're probably going to look to move him again that said Oladipo is not the kind of guy that's going to quit. He's going to give it all he's got every time he's on the floor. Yep. And so I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because I think the Rockets can make a make a leap here to at least make the playoffs. I think they're that's a, a fast team if you think team. about it. Right. The team is incredible. That backcourt is incredibly fast. Uh, and then you have Christian Wood, who's faster than ninety percent of the bigs in the league that can just run down for layups with them. It's going to be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, you know. Dante Exum, I mean that it, it seems like that was a contract just to it was, that was a contract just to match all the other deal contracts in the trade. He's such a weird um, player to me. Yeah, and he can't stay healthy, unfortunately. Yeah. Rodionks Kuruks is another it's a it's one of those prospects that draft Twitter just absolutely loves. But, you know, you see him play. Yeah, he'll have he he had some flashes with the Nets whenever he did play. Um he's kind of a big He's fooled gold to me. Yeah, like I'm not that high on Rodion's Kuruks, but it's really, it just comes down to the draft picks and um, the Rockets, you know, everybody, everybody, no, you'd never want to trade an MVP superstar player, right? Nobody ever wants to do that. And if you trade him, you lose that trade all the time, right? But if the situation is untenable and you have to trade him, like, I don't look at it as the Rockets automatically lost the trade because they lost James Harden. I just look at it as, yeah, they lost the better player, but they had to do it. What are they going to do? What, like, the way Demarcus Cousins was talking in the uh, in the you know pre morning oh, yeah. session with the media after the game after Harden's comments that was a uh, yeah James Harden don't come to practice because me and John Wall will pull up on you. That's how we. That's how I read it. <laughs> well, did you see the report today that came out about the players meeting that happened or the the team meeting that happened right after that? session that no, media session no i did not know well there's a uh was it on the athletic feature no oh actually i'm not sure there was a there was a feature that came out or like a report that came out earlier today that the rockets had a meeting either right after that game or right before right the morning before all this stuff all the trade happened where uh steven silas basically said like hey unfiltered does anyone have any thoughts about this? Like, no judgment, no anything. Just speak your mind. And so Wall and Cousins both called out Harden of like, we're tired of this. Like, what are, what are you doing here? Like, what is your intention? Like, are you committed? Whatever. And so just kind of called him out on the entire thing. And that's what kind of triggered the deal to make them Yeah, go, okay, that sounds about right. Deal. I've been wondering yeah. the whole time this was happening. Uh, I know John Wall, like, you know, he tried to say some stuff like uh, – 
Yeah, me and Harden were were on the same page before the season started. He was like, yeah, me and Harden were on the same we're on the same page, blah blah blah. And it's like, no, he's not really on the same page. He's just saying that. But I was wondering the whole time what Demarcus Cousins thought because he doesn't hold back, and Demarcus Cousins is as real as they get. So so you're hearing those comments the other day. I was like, yeah, there because before. Demarcus's comments there was that report where it was like Steven Silas told Harden not to show up to practice and then Boogie came out and said what he said it was like oh that's why he's not coming to practice <laughs> yeah so here here's the uh here's the report yeah so it is the athletic report the Sam Amick report it says mm-hmm. quote the group was fed up with the antics tired of the headlines constant question about Harden's state of mind and where this was all going and with that with every day Harden remained in Houston his presence became increasingly burdensome for the team and they just wanted a sense of clarity understanding during the meeting that was led by Silas, which sealed his decision to keep Harden out of subsequent team activities until the trade was completed, sources say multiple teammates expressed displeasure with Harden's, Harden's recent body language and effort. Silas asked anyone if they wanted to share their unfiltered views, and the dialogue about this defunction began from there. John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins both spoke during the meeting, sources say, seeking direct response from Harden's level of commitment and preaching the importance of accountability. For those who had been with the Rockets since back with Westbrook, when Westbrook preached the same message to anyone that would listen, these uncomfortable dynamics were all too familiar and weren't surprising. Mm. Mm, damn. So, yeah, that's pretty damning. Uh, and I think it, it became kind of a meme for a while of like, hey, uh, there was Dwight, there was Chris Paul, there was Westbrook. Uh, who's really the problem in Houston? Uh, that was like kind of the meme for a while. Mm-hmm. And like something that would go around Reddit and Twitter and like kind of true. It's for good uh, reason. Like, right. Like I'm all for player empowerment. Right. And this is the thing, especially I find with people more in our age group, even though we're on the higher end of the age in terms oh, of millenniums, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm going to do that to both of us <laughs> dragging you down with me. No, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of, you know, there's always this rush to defend guys like Harden or Kyrie yeah. whenever stuff like this happens. And it's like, I get it. Uh, there is definitely a generational gap still with the media and how they cover today's athlete that they are just sure. missing stuff that they just don't get about today's player. But we also still have to look at it from the other side of like Harden has had everything given yeah. to him in Houston. Whatever he has asked for, they have given it to him. Which, you know, is not... They treated him better than most franchises have treated star players. And that's the thing. Like, star treatment and capitulation isn't an unfamiliar thing in this league, right? But if you're the star and you're asking for this stuff, there are... You have to be accountable and, you know, take the hits when they don't go your way. As as much as you want to, you know, take everything else that comes with things going your way. And so... Yeah, Harden wanted Dwight out after Dwight signed a free agency. He wanted Chris Paul. Chris Paul comes in. It barely let la- year two was the last year. And year two, we were already hearing stuff about how these two didn't like each other. Boom, yeah. gone next year. Then he brings in Westbrook, his best friend, his friend from L.A., his former teammate in Oklahoma City, close friends for a long time. Westbrook is looking around just like, um, this isn't the culture that I was used to in OKC and I want to and Harden him and Harden obviously didn't see eye to eye and Harden was like okay let's get Westbrook out and Westbrook probably wanted out too for being honest so yeah. 
Harden has had everything built towards him, and he still couldn't get it done. Now, do I look at his Houston era as a failure? No, I don't look at it as a complete failure. Failure in that they didn't win the big one. But we can't completely absolve Harden from this because he brought a lot of this on himself too. And, you know, yeah. we have to acknowledge that. And I think it's it's about accountability, right? Like, if we're going to get on franchises for trading, if we're going to get on the Celtics for trading uh, Isaiah Thomas, you know, or if we're going to jump on, you know, all these teams for not being loyal and all that stuff, we got to jump on Harden, too, for, yep. the, for everything that he's doing here. And I think just accountability and, like, they've done everything in their power to put him in a place to succeed and make sure the team's successful. And he just kind of, and it's not like they were bad last year. And it's not like if it's not like they didn't try to make moves this year to like make this team better. And I want to be, if he wants a trade, I'm fine with him asking for a trade. It's just the way he's saying it and the way he went about it. it, It's like not breaking health protocol. First of all, showing up to parties, giving little baby a $100,000 birthday present which you know, damn, <laughs> that's right. that that that's some friends in high places. But showing up when you're supposed to be in training camp, and then you show up out of shape, like laughably, out of shape. Like, laughably, really badly out of shape, like laughably out of shape. And you, and he even said like I did some things that were out of character, and I'm just like I don't know. Like I felt like I kind of felt like I all this like was coming. Character. Like, I felt like all of this that happened did not surprise me. I was like, when Harden eventually gets unhappy and asks for a trade, and you told me this was how it's going to pan out, I would have been like, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. So, well, obviously, too, it comes down to even the, the style of basketball that they played. It's really hard. If you're a teammate of James Harden, it's really hard to watch a guy dribble for 20 seconds of the shot clock and, and throw up a shot. Yeah. Like, it's not fun to – like – it works and it's successful or whatever. But as a basketball player, me and you both play basketball. It's not fun. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and it's, it's not like fun. watching. Like, I, I remember I was playing uh, my first semester in the uh, four-year college that I transferred to out of community college. I played uh, intramurals my first semester. Um, one of my fraternity brothers asked me to join the squad. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm I'm down to hoop with my fraternity brothers, you know, like. And so they brought on this one dude who had played in other leagues before, but he literally thought he was Allen Iverson and James Harden rolled into one and he would not pass the ball. He would take these crazy shots and teammates would get pissed like in the huddle and we would go up to our frat brother who was the captain. and We'd be like, dude, this guy's not passing the ball like. I'm not saying I'm going to make a shot or something, but can we move the ball or something? Right. And so then without being mean, my friend was like, hey, we're going to – the next game my friend was like, hey, we're going to try something new. We're going to have you come off the bench. And then I was like, oh, God, we're doing this. <laughs> and then the next game, the ball hog guy, he couldn't make it. And so we were all just like, oh, hell yeah. And so then we play – and so we played without this ball hog – and we were moving the ball like they were kicking like the first. Yeah, we were dumping it to me in the post and I would pass it out. You get the ball out, moving around the perimeter. And, you know, we still hadn't won a game to that point. But that was the damn closest we have ever gotten to winning a game. Um, they We played a bunch of good teams. We won like one game or two games out of like 10. But 
we were not close with this ball hog guy. But when he wasn't there, my God, we had a way better shot. So it's kind of James Harden is that guy <laughs> on a way yeah, better I, level. Right. And again, it, winning and success and all this stuff. And he's so talented. But the thing is, again, it's just not fun. And it's not it's hard to play with that kind of guy for a long time. And so I completely understand the teammates frustration with the way he played. I understand why people, when they get there, don't like, you know, you think it's like the, it's like the guy that beats his, beats his wife. Right. She's like, Oh, he'll change. He's better. Now he understands his, his mistakes. It's like, no dude, <laughs> you just kind of no, the just, dude was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just going to beat you again. Like this is just how Harden has been uh, empowered to play. And obviously I think, getting to kind of the net situation, I don't know how long this past happy Harden is going to stay. I think that this first game was like a, like a, Hey, look, I can pass. Hey, look, I can, I can play make and I can be this guy. I don't know how long that, ha- that stays for. I don't know how long that honeymoon period lasts. And if they start to lose, I don't know how long that sits. Right. Uh, and, and then also with when Kyrie comes back, that adds a whole new element to it as well. Um, if he comes back, right? I don't know where we're at there. But, yeah, um, it seems. Oh, so it seems like he might be questionable for. Um, let me see. Let me pull up. This is great podcasting. Um, for Wednesday, so, Wednesday's game against the uh, Cavaliers. So this, this comes into the thing too of everything that we just said about Harden. I also want to say, for me at least, goes true for Kyrie as well. Where I completely understand you don't want to play. You have personal issues. Whatever it is. When you sign that contract, you have an obligation to talk to the media. You have an obligation to show up to practices and show up to games and play your game for your teammates, for your team, for whatever you're doing. And, like, not cool the way that he's going about a lot of the stuff here. And I completely understand, like, hey, he doesn't want to talk to the media, whatever. Part of your job, Even man, if it's personal stuff... reasons, at least right. let the team know why right. you dipped first. There's a, lo- there's a lot of – dude, I got to call in sick to work. I gotta, I gotta tell people why I'm not showing up to work. I got yeah. to, I have, hey, there's a lot of shit at work I don't want to do, but I gotta do it because it's part of my job. Yeah. And so when you're, when you are, I feel like, yeah, you don't want to talk to the media because they take things out of proportion, whatever, whatever it is, dude. You still gotta talk to the media. It's still part of your job. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, I agree. and when you don't show up, you gotta let them know why. And even if you don't want to give them an answer that you were afraid they might take out of context you could still do just the marshawn lynch which i don't even yeah, like, have a problem with like no dude if you, at all but you got you have to at least make yourself available yeah. and i think putting not showing up to media availability and then putting out a statement afterwards of like why to me is just like well i think at this then, point too like Kyrie is at the point of no return where anything he does now absolutely is going to be scrutinized so but i don't he know put it on himself yeah oh yeah a lot of it he put on himself but and that's what i'm saying so like before the season right he started this all off rip by releasing a statement saying i'm not going to talk to the media right. on media day and it's like okay you you say you want to focus on basketball you don't want to bring attention to yourself you're Kyrie irving like you have brought a lot of stuff on yourself to where people want to cover you with an extra 500 set of eyes now and when you do something like that, they're going to talk about that. As much as we don't want to talk about you talking to the media, you releasing a statement, which, you know, I don't remember any player 
in recent memory doing that on a media day like hey this is my statement not going to talk to the media but i'm going to give you a written statement about how i'm ready for the season they're not gonna they're that's not gonna fly past them especially new york media so it's just stuff like that like anything he does now he brings it on himself so i would think it would it would benefit him to at least if he's going to miss games for personal reasons, let Steve Nash know. So Steve Nash doesn't tell the athletic that he had no idea Irving was going to leave for personal reasons, you know, take care of that stuff with your teammates internally first. Even if it's, even if it's personal, you owe it to your teammates and your team and your organization to let them know. Yeah. And just say, Hey, keep it private. And they will. And if they're good or trust organization to say, Hey, we understand the reason why it's totally fine. But we're keeping it internal for now. Yeah. Whatever it is. Right. And then you and, have to know if you're going, even if the party you went to was your family's birthday or whatever, you have to know people are going to record you and this is going to come out and it's absolutely. going to look bad. The optics of you missing games for personal reasons and then pictures of you surfacing at a party, pictures of you surfacing on a Zoom meeting, which was a very legitimate, like the Zoom meeting that, like, it was about, you know, racial topics and social justice and stuff which is all right cool but also your team is playing a game right now and a picture of you surfaced at a place where you shouldn't be or or a place that's not at the game and you're supposed to be missing the game for personal reasons just optics the the optics of all of it looks bad too and that matters you know yeah and so again i don't want this to make it sound like we're trashing on Kyrie because we're not it's and you know, it's I love Kyrie, where, love James Harden as basketball players, but right, some of the stuff they're doing is like, come it, on. It comes, to, it just comes down to accountability. It comes down to being a professional, and it comes down to, you know, I, and I think that's something that LeBron kind of has talked about when he's talked about Kyrie and what he's trying to teach Kyrie, and it's like, dude, you just, it's just accountability to what to your sport, to your teammates, to your organization, and like a certain level of respect. And I think it comes down to. A lot of like, it just comes. To, it comes down to entitlement, right? And it comes down to like, I don't need to do this because I am who I am. And it, it and even if you, even if it's not how they're personally feeling, that's how it comes across, right? Yeah. And I'm not all about. I'm not all about because I think there is, like, old school media and stuff like that. They they like to. Those are like the. Uh, dog whistle or trump cards right that they like to use it's like oh be more be more uh, professional entitlement right. and all that stuff and i don't sure. like to use those words too much because i do think i think I it's do, tricky i think it's a it's slippery, a tricky, slope. It's a slippery really. slope but i think in these two cases it's like it's okay to wonder like what the fuck are these guys doing right now you know um, or like just what's important to you yeah exactly and again it's it's totally fine and it, it kind of goes to the thing that Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith went really far and like really drastic with it. But like the he thing did. was like, the thing was, if basketball is not important to you or if that's not your number one priority, that's okay. Like you can still, you can live your life and you can be a perfect, you, know, you can be a person and not have basketball be your number one focus. Like not everyone has that. That's totally fine. Yep. But you also have to make that very clear to your team because your team is expecting you to come up and show you show up to your job and your teammates and your and it's not it's not fair you know right absolutely not and uh but uh basketball if we could uh 
go to the basketball part of this. Um, yeah, sorry, I went like a weird. Tangent. I know we went on a we went on. No, it's fine. That's that. It. I am all for all conversations on the uh, Bob, but uh, on the basketball side of it, the personalities are obviously it's going to be an interesting mix. Um, I feel bad I've, for KD, man. <laughs> well, I do. Well, he's playing with his friends, so I don't feel that bad for. I think he'll be the most. He's one of the most. I think Zach Lowe called him the most malleable superstar ever. And um, I think he'll fit wherever he can in the Harden Kyrie thing. I think he's just going to drop 28, five and five in his sleep because he's Kevin Durant. But uh, I don't know. I Harden is an intelligent enough player to me to where I think it will, that I think he will adjust his style a little bit. Obviously eight years of, you know, turning into this, wonder with the ball in his hands this one man offense with the ball in his hands obviously there's going to be some stuff that's tough to break but he's obviously a high IQ enough basketball player he's led the league in assist once he's always been a high assist guy um I think he knows now that he can pick his spots better and maybe the two or three bad shots a game that he takes uh, stepping back from three or whatever, even though you want Harden taking step back threes, maybe two of those shots get repurposed into like, there is some stuff the Nets were running over the weekend against the magic where I was like, Oh my God, like Harden is replacing Karis Levert in this part of the play. And it's like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, and you could see how Harden might adjust, but who knows? It might be a honeymoon period. My thing is, I know everybody wants to try to be all, declarative and final with their statements about like the hard the the nets got hardened and that's all that matters the net should be a surefied the surefied favorites to come out of the east i don't know why people are questioning if this will work or not it's not about questioning if the big three will work and i wish this is the part of basketball conversation on twitter that i hate is that everybody's just one they're on their their they plant their flag and two there's not enough characters in 280 characters to have a nuanced discussion if people disagree, right? But sure. I think the Nets are favorites to come out of the East. I'm not big on the gap as everybody else is because no, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm but either. defense still has to matter. Like, and also with the big three of like the Warriors or the big four or the big three pre KD or the big three with the Heat or the big three with the Celtics, those guys were all in some way, shape, or form anywhere from average to elite on defense. And we have James Harden, who is good in the post and could, if he was engaged for half the game on defense, he would probably be somewhere in the realm of an average defender, right? Because he's smart. He could play the passing lanes. Um, You know, he can read off-ball stuff when he actually gives a shit about helping on the weak side right Kyrie he'll try but he's a small guy he'll get punished whatever um that and that's why the effort level right it does but even with the effort level I think the Nets are still an average below average defensive team at best they're gonna have to rely on a lot of small ball Jeff Green at center now and DeAndre Jordan is starting yeah and it's like like, that was that's kind of the thing that I was getting to with them because the conversation shifted right away to like they're the favorites now to win. And I was like, dude, who's gonna guard Giannis? Who's gonna guard Embiid? Who's gonna like you know what I mean? And you just kind of go down the line of like 
guys that they may have to go up against. And you're like, I don't know how they're going to guard anyone. By the way, me and you were saying this pre-Harden trade. <laughs> yeah. Well, last week's topic was the Nets' problem with, with rim protection. Yeah. We, had a, we talked about their issues at rim protection, and we were like, well, at least they have Jared Allen. Now they don't have Jared Allen. Dude, okay, so the Nets played, Harden made his debut against the Magic over the weekend. The Magic, once again, par for the course, have the 25th worst offensive rating in basketball per cleaning the glass. They average 105.8 points per 100 possessions. The Nets allowed the Magic to score 115 points in a four-quarter game. This is how the Nets are going to be winning their games, by the way. A good chunk of them. They're going to be well, outscoring people. But when they're you allowing watch them too. When you watch that game, I I think I'm higher on Nikola Vucevic than you are. I really like Nikola Vucevic. I do uh, as a player. I just question is he actually somebody to build around? That's all. Sure. But to, dude, he was eaten up. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> and you're like, I like I like Nikola Vucevic, but there is no way. He should be able to 30, do the things 34, he doing. 10, 34, 10 rebounds and seven assists. Vucevic was killing the Nets. <laughs> they were he was killing them. And well, it's like, who's gonna guard him? Exactly. And now you're gonna and look, everybody was all fascinated by the Nets depth with depth, depth, depth. Like if you look at it like Landry Shamit, like he's a good shooter, but he's kind of been stagnant the last he's been stagnant and injured the last season and a half. Um, you're relying on, there's a lot of Chris Chioza minutes now. Uh, there is also, you're, like I said, you're relying on Jeff Green and now Jeff Green becomes an important part of your rotation because you're asking him to be a small ball four or a five. And also while Kevin Durant looks like, you know, pre Achilles, Kevin Durant, he still has, he still lost a little bit of a step, but you're asking somebody coming off of Achilles surgery all of a sudden now to defend a lot of fours and fives than he was initially probably expected. To and do. someone that, someone that has had issues strength wise, his whole career anyway, yeah, like gets tends to get bullied and bodied by bigger guys anyway. Yep. And so, and the thing is, I, I, I made the joke earlier that the Nets should go all in and trade for Ernest Enos Cancer anyway, just to go all in <laughs> on the offensive only thing. Um, hey, at least well. at least Ennis will get you some offensive rebounds. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like you might as well just trade for Enos Cancer just to go. Might as well if you're gonna go all in on offense like this, you might as well go all in and just trade for Enos. Yeah, Cantor he'll like provide some. Jaleel, he'll, it's like Jaleel Okafor, right? Yeah, like, just oh go all God. in. <laughs> like he'll at least Cantor will provide something DeAndre Jordan doesn't. You know, like yeah. It, well, so, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with, like, obviously they're going to watch the buyout market. And I think oh, yeah. they get, like, a JaVale McGee, that's absolutely huge for them. That's right? essential. Right. And so, but the thing is, like, I could see a world where, like, JaVale goes back to the Lakers because the Lakers have uh, the need for They a, have a vertical a, a rim athletic, protection, right. like, thing that's lacking there. But the thing is, like, their their rim protection numbers are actually better than they were last year, surprisingly. Whatever, we can talk about that later. The But the issue with the Nets is like, okay, if, to get through the East, you have to get through Embiid and Giannis, and I don't know if they can do that. They and Even like Vucevic, they're going to struggle against Vucevic in the playoffs if they run into the Magic on the on the first round. Yeah, Vucevic uh, is going to have a – he's going to have like a huge first-round series that will – Yeah, or yeah. like Sabonis, right? Like they're gonna Yep, run Sabonis into, too. 
like all of these got all these guys are bam out of bio bam is in there as well of like guys that are big that are and, versatile as hell and can do a lot right. of things on the floor and they're gonna play guys like deandre jordan off the floor and then you're relying on jeff green to defend in the in a in a worse pj tucker way because as jeff green is versatile and athletic he doesn't have the size that pj tucker has to body down low the mm-hmm. issue that you're going to have too, then if they make it to the finals, right? After they go through this, after Jeff Green gets bodied and beaten to black and blue in the East, then you're either going to have to go against Anthony Davis or Jokic or like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's uh... after, after you go through the gauntlet in the East with those bigs, you have in the finals, Anthony Davis or Jokic or something else like that, or DeAndre Ayton. Maybe. And like I said, with this big three, I would like a little more, two-wayness um the only guy who's really a who you could say has had a track record of being an elite two-way player is Durant and even then I don't know how often that'll come out of him um you know at this stage given the Achilles and so it's like yeah the big they're going to be incredible offensively it's already incredible offensively and they still haven't played together and Kyrie's not back but that's going to be the way the Nets are going to do things and Look, and if that thing, works. The thing that then... worries me too, I love the I love that Joe Harris is still there, and I love that he's going to provide so much. Yo, Joe Harris has never seen here. so many wide open threes that, in his life than he has right. so far this season. <laughs> but it is going to make it really hard to play a team with a lot of defensive versatility. Like if you play the Clippers or if you play the Lakers, they're gonna obviously yeah they're going to score and they're going to have great numbers. But it's going to you're still playing three on five pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it's still going to be really difficult to consistently score, especially when you're getting giving up the amount of points they're going to be giving up on the other end of the floor. When you start to play these top echelon teams like the Bucks or like the Lakers or the Clippers or even the Celtics, teams that have great defensive rotations and are able to scheme, they're not going to be able to match up because obviously there's no team in the league that can match up one-on-one with with the Nets. I still can't believe the magic with no Markel Fultz or Evan Fournier and only having, you know, basically nine guys in the rotation scored 115 points against a title, supposed title contender. And they are a title contender, to be clear. The degree, though, eh, I I still think the East is wide open because of the Nets' glaring flaws. They might have better talent than, you know, the rest of the East. But the Nets' glaring flaws to me still makes this race in the East a wide-open yeah. one, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally agree. So, uh, you know, we spent about 40 – wow, we went 45 minutes breaking down this trade, which is uh, – I mean, which, it's pretty much the it, biggest it's thing. It's pretty much happened. the biggest thing, yeah. It, no, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, uh, but uh, do we uh, – I'm just wondering, while we still have time, uh, what are some of your – I know you had some side grievances or side thoughts you wanted to oh, yeah. get so, off your chest. Uh, interesting topics here. Some more lighthearted, fun ones. Uh, did you see this uh, NBA team franchise valuation report? No, I did not. Uh, so Sportico uh, is a obviously a like uh, firm or you know kind of reporting company that did some evaluations on NBA franchises. Uh, you want to guess the top three since you haven't seen this? So there's a huge gap between the top three valuation teams valued in the league uh, versus the rest of the league. Like a, like a, a $2 billion. Oh, value. okay. So I guess the top three would be the Lakers, the Knicks. Okay. 
Uh-huh. And hmm, the third team, the third team, the Warriors. Yeah. So those are by far. Do you know what number one is? The Knicks. Yeah. So yeah, their that, valuation is at $5.42 billion. Uh, Warriors come in second at 5.2. So two, Makes like sense. A, what, $200 million difference there. Lakers are at 5.1 uh, and probably climbing given their resurgence back up. Uh, and then the number four is the Brooklyn Nets at $3.4 billion. Wow. So, that's a, a near $2 billion gap. <laughs> yeah. So gigantic gap there. Uh, obviously, you know, major markets, California, uh, New, York. New York. Yep. So, you know, uh, then we have Boston, the Bulls, uh, the Boston Boston Celtics and the Bulls at 3.8, 3.18 and 3.14 respectively. And then it drops down to Houston at 2.7, uh, 2.77. And then from there, it just it kind of trails uh, as you would think it would. Uh, but yeah, the huge gap uh, between the top three and the rest of the league was uh, pretty telling to me. Yeah, the, um, the next the next state one doesn't uh, surprise me. Uh, There's no, still there's still the mystique of going to Madison Square Garden and players mm-hmm. on the players who travel on the road want to play in MSG to put on a show. And even though there obviously there's been no fans this year, but it, just over the last few years, speaking, um, and it's New York, and then you know Warriors, <laughs> the team of the decade, pretty much, and then. Lakers are probably going to retake that spot in the next few years because one LeBron and uh, two it's the Lakers and they're back to NBA probably, royalty, right. you know? So, I mean, th- to be fair, the Lakers are probably the most successful NBA franchise of all time ever anyway. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So it's not like they, I expected them to be up there. I expected the Warriors given their level of success. Wait, wait, wait. That sound you heard was like a th- one million Celtics fans screaming from the distance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have I told? Have I given my Celtics argument before? No, I, but I, I would. Lo- I love Celtics slander, so let's get it out so here right now. <laughs> Bill Bill Simmons always brings up the uh, Minneapolis championships, right? And yep. I'm I'm with him there. Of just like, if you're gonna accept the Minneapolis uh, championships, you have to retire Mike's number. So I'm still confused as to why Mikan is not retired or yeah. why Mikan's number is not retired. But you know that's that's neither here or there. My thing is that the Celtics championships, when you count all 17, I don't take anything away from them, but I value more winning championships across every single decade and a level of success across every single decade rather than 10 championships in the 60s. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't... Yeah, 10 championships in the 60s, and then uh, three or four in the 80s, and then that's about it. Where the Lakers, you have championships in every single decade. And and dynasties in almost every single decade. Let's see, the 60s, right? Is it the 60s? No, I think, no, I'm talking about the Lakers. Oh. So the Lake, I'm, I'm thinking of all the decades they've won. Right. So they've won. They won one in in the sixties with uh, with Wilt, Wilt and, uh, and Jerry West and Elgin. Jerry West. That was no. That was the year. No, Elgin that was retired. yeah, yeah. That was that's Elgin right. retired, but then he played. I think one playoff game. He came back out of retirement to play one playoff game. So it counts technically. But I I feel so bad for Elgin because he retired that year and then they finally won. Yeah. But uh, so 
he there's that year they won in the oh they didn't win the 70s they won in the 80s of course uh then they won in the 90s 2000s with Shaq Kobe and then you won the Kobe Gasol championships in the 2010s and then now you've won 2020 in LeBron yeah uh and they've and and a level of success too because like remember there's a lot of Celtics down years really the Mm -hmm. only Lakers down years that has been this last decade with the between the Kobe LeBron and kind of that midway in the 90s after a magic in the early 90s after magic uh, see they were still making the playoffs like they're still making the playoffs and they're still doing decently where there's Celtics years where you're just like wow yeah there's Celtics years where they were there's the Antoine Antoine Walker years okay yeah there is the and also there is that one Celtics year I think it was 2005 or four where they lost they set the record for like most games lost in a row um, was that the Antoine? Was that the uh, no? That was that was it was it was years. It was well past. Yeah, I think it was. A, it was when Paul. It was basically just Paul Pierce and a bunch of scrubs. Um, it was yeah. Dude, I just remember. I just remember them getting Sebastian Tailfair, and then my Celtics yeah. friends telling me that Sebastian Tailfair was gonna take the jump. Dude, the future. And I was like, yeah. I was like, nah, dude. <laughs> Sebastian Tailfair can't make a layup. <laughs> but uh. But no, yeah, I could see from your perspective. Yeah, I could absolutely uh, see that. And, and again, yeah. I don't, I don't, I think Celtic fans have obviously an argument of their own, and like I respect that argument. I just have the take of like the sustained level of success for the Lakers is to me more valuable than the uh, dominance. Of I mean, I don't want to disrespect Bill Russell, but as I've gotten older and you know have a thought, have had different changed my thought process some ways of how, how I think about basketball and basketball historically. Like I just find myself moving Bill Russell further and further back in my top 10 and top 15 ever just because of the era he played it. And I don't want to ever discredit players for the era they played in, but the, there was eight teams when he played, he was clearly, it, it was a league where, it was full it was it wasn't the league wasn't black yet and mm-hmm. it was the 60s and there was eight teams players were smoking cigarettes at halftime and <laughs> i just can't get over the fact i don't know who did it but i saw an article a few years ago it hasn't really been done since and uh ben dietrich of cookie soups he'll show that article every once in a while but they did a thing where they took great players from yesteryear and they would use a formula to like calculate how their stats would look today and you know will chamberlain monster of course 25 and 12 was like the number he came out as if you took his averages will or bill russell was like 13 and 6 or something like that with like 46 percent shooting that is like literally one of the worst players in the league today like we would be making twitter jokes out of the out we would be high factory level production Twitter jokes for a prominent player getting minutes like that. Obviously, like to me, the biggest thing, if anyone is watching this and isn't subscribed to thinking basketball, go do that right now. Uh, So there's a uh, thinking basketball is one of the, probably the bet my favorite basketball analyst. Oh, it was his greatest peaks, right? He did the bill Russell video. Yeah. Russell versus Chamberlain. He's doing a series right now called greatest peaks where he kind of goes through NBA history and talks about players' uh, greatest peaks and sort of their impact on the game in their respective eras. Uh, so today's episode was on Shaq. Great. 
Uh, he's done, obviously, he's going through all of the greatest players of all time. So we went through, uh, before that, it was Hakeem, uh, Dave Robinson. They obviously did Magic Bird. Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael Jordan. And then uh, the first two episodes were on Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. Um, some great analysis there, some great stuff there. Obviously, Bill's biggest impact came on the defensive end. It's just hard to uh, measure defensive impact because there's not a lot of film there and there's not a lot of we're just purely going on numbers and it's hard to really understand the even in uh, the modern league today defensive numbers are hard to they're really hard to understand you really have to watch players and so given the footage back then and especially you know we're only getting snippets it's even hard to watch like a player with a lot of footage like a player with a lot of footage that i love i love bill i'm a big bill walton guy Mm -hmm. i don't know if you are no i like bill walton yeah one of the best so passers I, ever, absolutely. passing bigs but ever. Also, one of the greatest, greatest defensive peaks. bigs ever. Absolutely, and so you know, they all, he also did an episode on Bill Walton, and so yeah, I watched. That's even, one of my. I like. I love that episode a lot. It's it's hard to even find good footage of Bill Walton defensive full games of defensive of Bill Walton to watch defensively, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know it's hard to to gauge players like that their defensive impact, and so yeah, I totally see where people put bill russell on this pedestal i just think it's a little too high but i also don't want to put him too low which is yeah that's that's the that's the void i find myself in it's like yes i know like because also it'd be kind of contradictory to contradicting myself right because i do respect what players have done for the league at that point in time in that history right but the more you look at it like you're gonna like if you're like from this perspective, if you, Chris, walked up to me and opened your hands and a prime Bill Russell came out of your left hand and a prime Kevin Durant came out of your right hand and you told me which player do you want to build around right now, you're in charge of everything as the GM, I'm taking Kevin Durant without a second thought. Yeah. <laughs> like ten, 100 times out of 110 times out of 100, I'm taking Kevin Durant. And, yeah. but obviously, you're talking about career bill russell has championships but it's so it's that struggle i'm always dealing with when trying to put a rank a guy like russell because it's like yeah he's had a better career than a lot of dudes but there's also a lot of dudes i would take over him well like that's kind of that's so to bring in another argument and i don't know where you stand on this one so i i may like hit a nerve here but i'm also not a tom brady guy and i i i it's the same argument that i have all the time with people when talking about Brady and quarterbacks where to me, Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. I have no, no problem saying that he is the most accomplished resume wise, greatest of all time quarterback. But if I'm picking a team to build around and if I'm, if I get to pick any quarterback in the history of the NFL and their prime and build around them in the perfect way, in the way that I want to build around them. And I think the way they're going to function best, I'm not taking Tom Brady. Yeah, you're taking Patrick Mahomes or yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm taking Rogers. Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or even John Elway. Like I'm taking or Dan Marino. So I'm taking I'm taking players that I I understand. Like in my opinion, have a stronger overall skill set. And obviously, you can't judge a player by like the intangibles, right? The leadership, the the X factor, whatever you want to call it. And I think like that's where when you talk about Bill Russell people, that's where a lot of Bill Russell people get into the minutia of it of like the leadership and the mm-hmm. the way he led a team and his defensive instincts and all that kind of stuff where it's like yeah okay you can't really gauge that and it's really hard to gauge that 
but like when you to me it's the eye test like when you watch a player and you see the player do stuff like are you t- are you telling me that is your greatest player of all time yeah or you're putting them like your or your argument like if you if you show me film of bill russell and you show me film of kevin durant yeah i'm taking kevin durant yeah but if you showed me the resume then i'm like if you don't if you don't show me film you just show me the piece of paper with like hey here's all their accomplishments yeah okay bill russell so my but- argument for brady and you're talk you're, you're talking to somebody who's a third generation niner fan and my dad's <laughs> side of the family is a hardcore 49er fan i have been going to we've had season tickets at candlestick since the 70s i've been going to games since i was 6 or okay. 7 years old um as somebody who has argued with his dad a lot because i think tom brady is well, I used to think Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback of all time over Joe Montana. I think it's more the combination of Brady might not be as talented as Mahomes and Rodgers, um, but he is—he was still elite talent-wise, especially at his peak when he was winning MVPs. So it was a combination of the resume and the talent, while he might right. not, necessarily, not necessarily be in the same stratosphere as those two. But I said it, <laughs> I said it as this season was going on, and I've told my friends this. Not, I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm right. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I have ever seen in my life. The, t- just I don't care if I, wise, I don't like. So, I was asking my dad this, and it and it's pretty funny that we had this conversation. I at this point in his career, if Mahomes had some kind of catastrophic injury or passed away in an accident or something happened to Patrick Mahomes. He gets to, in my opinion, he gets the Gale Sayers treatment of getting into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Where, he's a Hall of Famer already. So for anyone that doesn't know who Gale Sayers is, Gale Sayers is a, was a running back for the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was one of the greatest players of all time, set records upon records, one of the most spectacular. Just go watch Gale Sayers highlights. Gale Sayers is incredible. And he had a catastrophic knee injury. Uh, before there was surgical help to uh, repair him. And so he was never able to come back and play. Mm-hmm. And so he only played, I think, four or five years in the NFL. But he makes the Hall of Fame just purely based on the brilliance of the short career that he had. Yep, he played five uh, full seasons. Right. And so to me, if Mahomes never plays another game, he, to me, is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Like, I like how we turned into a football podcast all of a sudden, but, uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, it, it tangen- goes to the tan- argument, right? Yeah, no, yeah. But tangentially connecting it to basketball, Patrick Mahomes is like the closest thing I've seen to a basketball player on the football field because like it's the most quarterback I think is the most important position in sports, but there's still 11 on 11. There's a lot of things that have to go right. Everybody has to do their assignment, right? It's like a huge chain, right? Where yeah. if one person fucks up, then it could mess the whole operation up. And you got more players to where there's a chance that could happen. Patrick Mahomes controls the game like he's a basketball player. Just he can step up in the pocket, he can run around, and he has this stupid arm where he could just launch it 60 yards or change the arm angle and throw it sidearmed with velocity and accuracy. And I don't want to bore anybody with all the minutia of throwing a damn ball, but this dude is the best I've seen throwing the ball and not named Aaron Rodgers. And I think he's... Rodgers and he's, Mahomes, there's the approaching Rodgers. There's some things like there's some things Roger does with his with his throwing ability that I'm like, I've never seen anybody do that. And Mahomes has some things that Rodgers can't do, vice versa. And 
those two are just they're insane but Patrick Mahomes man like he's literally Steph Curry like yeah. like everybody throws the Steph comparison around with good reason like this dude is a supernova and defenses are just keyed in on him but yeah going all the way back to our first <laughs> original topic like yeah I would I think now I'm now more than ever I'm looking at you know greatness from different perspectives so it's like right. the GM thing, for example, or who, or like what Ben Taylor does is who had the greatest peaks, like two, three year stretches, or who had the greatest career. Or you could try to do the impossible thing we all try to do, and while we all have talk shows like this, is we try to combine all three and then try to, you know, make stuff up as we go. <laughs> right. So like that's kind of where I classify things where to me, when I consider greatest of all time, I do consider greatest players within their era and like that's i don't i don't try to make them against each other because like the thing is if you're going over I, I had this discussion with someone about uh league of legends the other day we had a there was a poll going around at espn poll and we were talking about uh league of legends players that were kind of the top three league of legends players of all time and so the thing is i always go back to this uh podcast that gary kasparov did gary kasparov was probably one of the greatest chess players of all time and so he was talking about Magnus Carlsen, who is currently the number one rated chess player in the world. Uh, again, one of the, I would, to, in my opinion, being a chess fan, the Magnus Carlsen's the greatest chess player of all time, in my opinion. But I didn't know you were a chess point, guy. Yeah. So besides the point, uh, <laughs> so Kasparov goes into this argument or this, the, the whoever was hosting the podcast asked Kasparov, who is the GOAT chess player? And uh, whether or not he puts himself ahead of Magnus and, and what, you know, where they all rank. And so Kasparov kind of puts it in perspective this way, where he's saying that it's hard to mix eras because, given the idea that the previous era learns and grows from the previous one. Yeah. So the idea that Magnus at age 20, at age, or, or sorry, that kasparov himself at age 20 knows less about chess than magnus does at age 20 and so it's hard to like compare the two because the, the passage of time and the transfer of knowledge and how much you know is better about the game mm. and so that kind of goes for basketball too where yes jerry west is one of the greatest guards and shooters of all time at this point i don't know if he could play like i don't know if you take jerry west Obviously, if you take Jerry West, make him born now, and he goes through the whole training process of what an NBA player would now, yes, he's still a great player. But I think that if you take 1960s Jerry West and plop him today and have him play one-on-one, -on -one, he'd lose against a lot of guards Yeah, in the league. And, the and so it's hard to compare in that way where you're like, okay, I don't know. Like, obviously, these players are talented, so if you put them in this era, yeah. But if you just drag and drop players, it doesn't work in that same way. And so it's hard to compare them skill for skill wise. You have to really take in context where like, what is them versus their contemporaries and their peers. And so that's what Kasparov's argument was. Kasparov's argument when you bring in the goat conversation is you don't compare them versus one another. You compare them between their gaps, between them and their peers. Right. How big was the gap between them and their contemporaries and how much better were they at their time than everyone else? Yeah, that's the other. Yeah, <clears throat> that was the other method. Um, I've heard Bill Simmons use this argument before because uh, 
now that the LeBron goat talks are getting louder and louder, he's trying to find him and other Jordan people are trying to find new ways to kind of, you know, you know, stop that talk and try to keep Michael up top. It's the who, how better was Michael or whoever at in that right, era at, the peak. at their peak? Who, how better was he than all of his peers? And yeah. early '90s, Mike was clearly there was like a consensus like this guy is clearly the best player in the world. And then I think when he came back for the second three peat, Bill Costas and Dan Patrick and a few others who were covering Michael during that whole run, they were saying. You know, in the early 90s, Michael Jordan was um, the best player of all time. But uh, this version of Michael Jordan, the second 3P Michael Jordan, is the best player in the world. And so, yeah, um, it's just it's stuff like that. Like how much like this is why LeBron's run has been so, so impressive. He's been the best player in the world for pretty much the decade <laughs> and even if there was a regular two or three regular seasons where you would say okay maybe Steph Curry was better than him in the regular season that year or Kevin Durant's 2014 MVP season uh you would deep down in your heart you're taking LeBron <laughs> like right. at the end of the day and so you know it the GOAT conversation is always it's always going to be interesting it's always going to be ever evolving I'm not one of those fuddy-duddies who tries to be like let's just Let's just enjoy the players that we have in front of us while we can. Why do we always have to? What? They're like, no, we're talking hoops, man. This isn't like, like, like I'm so, if you can't handle like disagreeing about goat talk or whatever, like you weren't talking with your friends at the lunch table every day in high school then. Like I can tell. absolutely not. And the thing is like, obviously there's a difference between people that have dumb arguments and like people that have smart nuanced discussion yeah right? yeah there's a there's a difference where like that's kind of like when we first started talking that one night we met and i was like yeah this is like these are nuanced discussions that i had that's why we started the podcast because we had a yep. lot of fun having that discussion and so you know these are conversations that you that if you don't enjoy having these conversations i don't know what you're doing <laughs> like yeah like like me like me and uh uh me and uh my friend we would argue back in high school who would we who like who was better Allen Iverson or Steve Nash and you know we'd argue about it and you know we would disagree but at the end of the day we're AI, by the way. yeah me me too like I'm taking AI easily um I actually I one of my hot takes is I actually think people who pick Steve Nash over Iverson are insane um because I well, think to me it's easier it's easier for like. AI could do the stuff Nash does. He just chooses not to. Where Nash just couldn't do the stuff Iverson could do. Like the first four, five seasons of Nash's career, he was legitimately no disrespect. He was not a good player. Like the first like four years he was with the Suns playing yeah, behind Kidd or whatever. Like it took him a while to get going. Then he went to Donnie Nelson with the Mavericks and Dirk and a great offensive genius who was ahead of his time and help unlocked his game. Then he went to a game shark in Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> and unlocked him even further. Could you imagine if Allen Iverson played for Donnie Nelson or Mike D'Antoni, and they were like, hmm, maybe we should put the ball in this six-foot guard's hands who might be the fastest point guard ever instead of giving it to Eric Snow and having him bring the ball up the court. I could go on a long rant about it, but it's too deep in the podcast for that at this point. But (laughs) my point is you can have – 
you can have heated debates with your friends or whoever. You can have heated conversations. Sometimes you might disagree, whatever. But um, those conversations are fun because hoops is basketball is like one of those sports where it's more art form compared to the other sports. Like there's an art to it. Like there's only five players on each side. There's a lot of individuality. There's a lot of things you can do with the ball compared to the other sports. Um, like it, it, it's fun to th- that type of game emits a type of conversation where you just sometimes a, a lot of it's hyperbole and, you know, historical what ifs. And that's the fun part about it. As long as it's smart and nuanced, like, or you, and you're not coming in with some dumb shit. Um, even though I'm susceptible to saying dumb shit every once in a while, but it it's like goat talk is fun to me like all the historical stuff and like comparing and stuff talking about it like that stuff's fun to me it's why i don't take in it's why i'm not one of those you know advanced analytic nerds like we were talking last week who just take inside the nba way too seriously and they're like why is this even on the air uh like why is inside the nba here it's like like every every part of the basketball good and bad yeah i i take with it you know Absolutely. But yeah, I, I think the thing about the GOAT talk, it's okay. Let's get, let's get this out of the way. If LeBron wins another championship, I'll, if LeBron matches Jordan six, like if he wins two more championships with the Lakers, I don't know how you argue that he's not the GOAT. Agreed. I really, I really don't. I agreed. I, Even Bill Simmons I, said it. I was like, wow. He actually, he was like, if LeBron wins two more, and now you can tell the Jordan people are like adding extra stuff to make them turn themselves into it just in case they're just like lebron has to win if he gets two more championships then there's no reason it's like yeah i don't know if he does like some (laughs) people some people are still hanging on to jordan i have a turn this year i think lebron's the greatest but if he wins five or even five, I think at that point. But so if like, he I, if he wins six, you can't argue it anymore. No, absolutely not. And like, so I'm always gonna have this opinion, and I think I I think this is true. Obviously, it's a lot of qualifiers, and I, I don't part of part of it maybe is the Laker fan in me. I still believe that Kobe Bryant is the most skilled basketball player ever, and I I think that if you give Kobe LeBron's body. Like if you put LeBron and Kobe in the same body, I think LeBron, I think Kobe is the goat. But I think LeBron's body and his physical tools are so overwhelming, and I think like LeBron is so intelligent with the ball, and so like he knows how to use his body so well, and it gives him such an advantage that it give it makes him the goat. But I think that like Kobe as a as a skilled player, the form, the footwork the moves everything that kobe did to me is it makes him the most skilled player but i don't think it makes him the best player i think it uh, i think hakeem olajuwon would have something to say about that uh um, i think he's i think i again i think him and to me the top three in my opinion are him jordan and hakeem kobe jordan hakeem to me are the are the three that's a good three that, that comes that come to mind where i think about like this pure skill like body type aside, just pure basketball skill. Like I think Steph. I think Steph Curry has to be up there just because. While we could quibble about how elite he we think he is as a ball handler or passer, the the others, the third skill of the three the basic shooting? ones, yeah. the shooting, he's by far the best at it. 
And so yeah. I think he has to be in there as well. But that's that's a good top three. Um, yeah, Kobe. Yeah, it, now that I think about it more, like Kobe's footwork was so incredible. Like the, Dude, his, you could just, I, I love watching Kobe highlights, not for like the dunks and the, just the footwork and like where he positions his body and how he gets the defender turning in a certain way. Yeah, like, he's definitely, yeah. That. He's one of the best, most skilled players of all time. I don't know if I've, uh, I might have to uh, think about the, uh, that might be a nice little homework assignment for next week's pod. I might have to nail down uh, some of the most skilled players in NBA history myself and where I'd rank them. But that's a, that's a good list right there, the three. And then I'd probably throw Steph in there as well. Yeah, it's uh, the thing with Steph is like, Steph doesn't come off as clean to me. Like he has the, he has all the moves and all the skills and stuff like that, but it, it comes off as it's less precise when I look at it. And it, it could just be the way that Steph carries himself. And like, I don't want to put it's it. It's probably because it looks, it look probably looks less precise because he's not, you know, doing one-on-one post stuff yeah, or you can like, see the like, technician the, stuff that Kobe does or right. the stuff that Melo does in the post, quite frankly, like yeah. his stuff is technician like also. So, yeah, so it, it just comes off as more, uh, like, sloppy and loose where again it's not a bad thing it's just like a thing of when i watch jordan or kobe you can see like dude they every foot every plate every foot placement every every has a has a purpose has a purpose and you're like man they are just there's no wasted effort everything they're doing is to get their defender moving in a certain way or to get to a spot or whatever it is yeah it's fucking beautiful to watch it's awesome yep that's why i love i love watching harden too because even though he griffs and he, uh, you know, he could, you know, maneuver his way to like a night where he shoots like 23 free throws, like his footwork on step backs and Euro steps and like his ball handling, like mm-hmm. as janky as that ball handling looks, he's still breaking dudes ankles. Like he's literally made, I've watched him live drop three people. Uh, I've watched, I watched him drop Wesley Johnson against the Clippers and then he dropped Jamal Murray, and then he dropped uh, Ricky Rubio a few years back and hit threes in their faces. And I'm just like, okay, if that's like one of those, if I was at the park, I I'd probably would see a fight because if somebody ha- had that happen to them, <laughs> that would right. that would not fly, you know. And so like that's why I like watching, you know, Harden, and or even though I hate watched Kobe growing up because it's like, god damn, he's so good, like with his footwork. There, everything has a purpose the one like he'll do like a power dribble and give you the shoulder to see how the defender would react and then he would react accordingly like def yeah kobe was a uh, kobe kobe was was great rest in peace to the mamba absolutely and so yeah i bring it i bring that up because a lot of people when they say like lebron lebron's the greatest player of all time whatever or lebron uh lebron when remember like early 2010s the, there was the Kobe LeBron debate of like who's the best player in the league. Yeah, I was a Kobe. Yeah, and so I was always a Kobe guy. Obviously, I was an LA guy, Laker guy. So you know, Kobe to me. And so the argument was always like LeBron's so much better. And I was like, yeah, but give them the same body, give them the same tools, and I still, I'm Toby's the more skilled basketball player. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? We're skilled basketball player, give them the same body. What the fuck does that mean? And I was like, you don't know. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, there's no point in having this discussion. Yeah. I was like, if, if you don't understand the nuance of like what they're doing and then you're just LeBron at that time, LeBron, all, his only move was power to the basket. 
Yeah, and Andy, worked, Andy, Andy would have like that janky little like turnaround fadeaway he would do when he was yeah. younger, and that was it. Now, by the way, he hits it every. He's been on fire to hit that this this season. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with him. But he's hitting that turnaround jumper at an insanely high clip. But yeah, yeah, you notice people are trying to retroactively like determine when LeBron was the best player. And it was like a 2009-10. It was like, no, Kobe was for 2009 and 2010, 08 too. Like Kobe was the best player in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, that I was don't... when he started to learn how to trust his teammates more. Yeah, that was when, yeah and that was when the Lakers were a contender. They got Pau, and me and my friend were freaking out at the lunch table <laughs> because we were just like, they literally got Pau Gasol for a bag of fucking chips. That's an automatic, no, dude, that's a fucking... championship team right there. <laughs> dude, the Lakers, Mitch, Mitch Kupchak gave them a bag of trash and was like, here you go. Well, you want to take this out for me? The funny thing is, so if you ten years later, that trade doesn't look as bad because the no, Grizzlies got Marcus All, and that provided a whole time, era of grit and grind. At the know? time, at the time, it was, was a bag Kwame of chips. Brown. I was mad, dude. All they got was Kwame. They got rid of Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown, <laughs> as Stephen A. Smith would say. Goodness. Yeah. Kwame um, Brown. But uh. What was I? I had a one quick parting thought about the uh, Blazers before I go, yeah. uh, because they just got shellacked by the San Antonio Spurs today. Um, it is still early. It is still 15 games in, although it's starting to become a decent sample at this point. But I think I might have to push the Blazers down to a, being a bubble team. Because yeah, well, remember, Eric Bledsoe did not play today. Uh, no, I'm talking about the Blazers, not the Pelicans. Oh, no, uh, not, not, uh, sorry, CJ McCollum. No, they did not. No, CJ McCollum did not play today, but I am, I'm concerned about the Nurkic injury. Um, he's going to have surgery on his wrist and he's going to be out at least for two months for sure. Zach Collins still isn't back. All of a sudden, Harry Giles is thrown in there and I love Harry Giles, but, um, he hasn't been able to crack the rotation. Their defense is still awful 27th uh per cleaning the glass in defensive rating uh they allow 115.4 points per 100 possessions and they were supposed to actually be better this year after getting robert covington uh and Derek jones jr and rodney hood back with gary trent to kind of supplement the bigger guard slash wing players to put around uh damon cj and uh the blazers still kind of stink um, compared to what people expected of this team. I think it might be time. I'm keeping my eye on the Blazers. I might have to uh, start reevaluating what I think about this team, especially because... Yeah. Uh, so I think we're deep enough into the season. We'll talk about it next week, but I think we're deep enough into the season where we just have to start reevaluating our, where our picks are. Yep. Uh, and so, quick note that I'll leave you on, and I don't know how you feel about this. I'm... The gap between the Lakers and the rest of the league, to me, it was big to start the season. It's bigger. It's even bigger now. It's bigger. The crazy thing is, the Clippers, are to me, are starting to separate themselves from the rest of the non-Lakers league, right? Like, um, somebody tweeted it. I think it was a Jason Maples on Twitter. Um, he's a good follow. But he said the Lakers, or the Clippers got better, but the Lakers got better, in all caps, better. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. And it's like... It's- it's insane to me how far ahead they are to the rest of the league because they're still you can tell they're still not trying 
hard at all. Mm-hmm. And they're still messing around with their lineups. What's like crazy to me is people playing around with weird lineups. Yeah, and they're still blowing teams out. Yep. And uh, if you look at it, everybody's like the Lakers are coasting, all that stuff. All that's true. And you look, and they're still eleven and three. You know, and it's like you they they lost they had that they had that weird opening day loss to the Clippers. Okay, well, I, I don't care. I don't care about that. They got that, the rings. Really. <laughs> they got yeah, the rings. I don't really don't yeah. care about that loss. Um, they lost to the Spurs too, but that was also weird. Um, also, it's funny to me that it just seems like the Lakers are on national TV a lot. Do a, a lot of people not know what they're seeing with the Lakers? Because like guys like Bill Simmons and like Rosillo, and we talked about this too, but like. Guys are saying like LeBron's rejuvenated, he's playing hard and stuff. And I'm like, what Clearly LeBron? Not I'm like, what LeBron are you watching? Like, and it's not to say LeBron's playing bad. I want to be one hundred and thousand percent clear on this. LeBron, well, LeBron is, is sleepwalking through LeBron this season. LeBron is sleepwalking through this season, though. Like there was a game, and I wish I could remember the game, but he took a, he he airballed a free throw. He threw a he threw a one-handed over the head pat he tried to do a dump down pass i think it was either to um gasol or davis but he clearly overthrew uh his target threw it out of bounds and then by the in the end of that third quarter he took a one-legged 40 foot 3 that he missed badly and he just threw it up like he wasn't like he was like whatever is, i'm chucking this shit up they are they are laughing and smiling and like giggling the and not gel together yet and they're still yeah. winning <laughs> and not just winning but they have their number one in defensive rating yep i think Back they're up. still in the top five in offense yep and they're, they're yep they're like, number one in defensive rating they're number three in defense and offensive rating per cleaning the glass behind the uh, clippers and the bucks um and they're not trying that hard nope they are not trying at all <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> it's it's wild um this is, I think this is a, uh... and they're resting guys. They're resting players every game. Every game, there's another, there's another, there's a different two Lakers out with some kind of weird, like, oh, it's a shoulder injury. I like how last year LeBron decided he was going to lead the league in assist, and now LeBron is apparently deciding this year that he is going to shoot the best three point percentage of his career since the uh, 2014 season. He is shooting 38% from three right now on six attempts per game, and this dude is turning around looking at Dennis Schroeder like, where's my $100 before the ball <laughs> even goes into the net? It's um, fucking incredible. Like, 24, 8, and 7 is what LeBron's averaging right now. And he is firmly in the MVP discussion, not trying. <laughs> yeah. And again, I don't want to like jinx it. And I don't want, as a Laker fan, I don't want to sound cocky, but I have a hard time seeing any team giving them any kind of a challenge when they turn it on and when they eventually start gelling and, and they get going. Unless, um, unless the Nets make some kind of big move or, uh, you know, the Sixers have a move in them where they could get an elite perimeter creator, which is probably only Bradley Beal at this point. Um, if the Lakers don't win the championship this year, you could say it's an abject failure. I Absolutely. think um, maybe if they lose to the Clippers and even well, Laker fans aren't going to want to hear that shit anyway. <laughs> Losing to the Clippers in a playoff series. <laughs> Not that I will ever happen but anyway, but I don't even think that's going to be like, I don't even know who they would lose. Like there's no team. If, if 
the status quo doesn't change, right? If everything stays the same, then we don't get any kind of big deal. I don't know what challenge they run into. Like, which to me is scary because it means that they might get complacent. But at the same time, I don't know. It's LeBron. When it's playoff time, when it's playoff time, LeBron's going to have these dudes going zero dark, dark 40 on social media for the playoffs. They're going to be reading. They're going to have a book club together. LeBron's going to bring a bunch of books and be like, hey, these are your reads for the playoffs. He's going to be like a school teacher, <laughs> making sure the kids are focused. Uh, nah, but uh, I'm looking at the West right now. And yeah, as it stands, the Lakers are, they're better than the Clippers, the Jazz, the Suns, who have been struggling a little bit, lost to the Grizzlies today. Uh, the Spurs are sneaky fifth seed with all the uh, young guys they're playing. Um, yeah, I don't see anybody, even the Bucks. Like, like I said, if the Sixers had gotten Harden, I would have felt pretty good about that series against the Lakers. But, you know. Congrats, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what, what I'm supposed to say to you because you're a Laker fan, and I don't want to pump you up. <laughs> but the Lakers yeah, it, are the Lakers are the team right now. It's been something that I've just been kind of watching all year. Just like I don't know, and it's frustrating to watch as a Laker fan because I understand. Like we'll get down 10, 15 points in the first quarter, and like, well, here we go. They're not trying, and then five minutes later, they're up by five, and I'm like, what? Where did that where did that come from? And then they'll just coast. And like it's it games where I go, man, they could be up like 30. And they're up like 10, but they could be up 30. And they're taking dumb threes and and Kuzma's trying to wrap around passes to LeBron. And mm-hmm. LeBron's trying to like take these logo threes and smiling <laughs> and you know AD's he's, they're throwing alley oops to AD 50 feet away, and you're like, what are they doing? Yeah, they're they're bored right now. They'll be, and it's they're still the best record in the NBA. <laughs> Terrifying, uh, but yeah, we've we've uh, gone a while. We've discussed a lot today. Oh yeah, even had uh, some football talk in here on the absolutely. BOB. Uh, do you have any uh, anything you want to add for next week? Anything watching? Anything you want to look forward to? Anything you want people to look out for? Um, I'm looking to see how the Suns start to kind of you know revamp revamp because they haven't played in a week um because of you know the covid protocols yeah. there's already been 15 postponed games and so teams that have been missing multiple games i'm looking to see how they uh you know try to knock off the rust um gonna keep watching the the washington wizards situation uh because even though they score a lot and they suck they're still fascinating to me. I don't know why. Like, I just, there's like the train wreck that I can't look away from because how is the Westbrook going to, the whole Westbrook dynamic of this, the young players and then the Bradley Beal thing. It just feels like something's going to happen there in Washington soon. I don't know what, but they are performing so low under expectations that I'm going to be watching for uh, those guys. And also the rookie of the race is uh, getting very, very interesting. Uh, I think Lamelo still has a very clear lead. He's leading in every category in terms of pure raw stats. Um, so I would I, I would take I would take uh, I think Halliburton's been the rookie of the year so far. Yeah, I think I think Halliburton has been has had more of an impact, but I think like Lamelo has just been given more of a leash. It's time to start him, please. Yeah, he needs to please. start. Like obviously, 
we both watched Hornets games. The horn, the dynamic of the Hornets completely changed every time he's in there. Absolutely. Um, and again, and again, he's leading in every stat category here. He's he's leading rookies in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know he's he's not he's playing fantastic basketball. I just don't understand why he's not playing more minutes. He's averaging uh, twenty five minutes a game. Uh, that should be closer to 30 to 32, in my opinion. Got to stroke the ego and development of da- Devontae Graham. <laughs> oh, God. He's playing so bad. He is. He is. You can still develop Devontae Graham bringing him off the bench. It's just he's not I He's not going to be one of the, the – I think he's not one of those dudes. I'm sorry. LaMelo's one of those dudes you try to groom, you know. But... I, dude, lo- the LaMelo-Rogier backcourt is so much fun to watch. And then oh, they yeah. bring Graham in, and you're like, man, this dude is a ball stopper supreme. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, those, that's the Wizards are going to be a team I'm going to be tracking going forward. And uh, NFC Championship and AFC Championship game this weekend, going back to football a little bit. Those are going to be two really good games. Four, there's four good teams left, and we're going to get two good championship games, I think. I, I am praying and I'm hoping and I honestly think that we're going to get a Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl matchup for the A's. Oh, that would be that would be incredible. Um, the, the the amount of slinging going around, yeah. that ball will be flying around. We didn't get a Brady Rodgers Super Bowl, but we're getting a Brady Rodgers championship game. And then the Bills and Chiefs are they're both incredible offenses. And then if we get a Mahomes Rodgers Super Bowl, that would be a that would be good. So. Yeah, a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening to us ramble on uh, for a long time about things not basketball related or tangentially related to basketball. Uh, Love when we ramble. We appreciate it either way for sticking around with us this long, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. The B.O.B.